come together to do something in the lives of these people that we've that we're raising up. Um, that Father, you would indeed move. You would provide what is needed. You would answer the prayers. And Father, we love you. We trust you. And Father, we look forward to one day being with you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Okay, why don't we all be seated? It's good to have all of our campers back. I, from what I've heard, I think they had a good time. Um, so I'm glad for that. There's a lot of work that goes into that. And I just want to thank everybody that went and all the adults that uh, participated and made this so special. Yeah, let's give them applause. Yeah. And all of you who contributed in one form or fashion to the fundraisers and so forth to make this uh, camp possible, I want to thank you for that. Let me ask you this question. When you hear the word racism, what do you think of? What comes to mind? It's probably something uncomfortable. You may even feel just feel unpleasant just saying the word or hearing it because racism seems to be a buzzword that's used today in a lot of different contexts to sometimes just ruin people's lives and uh, silence them, uh, especially if you're in the political arena. You'd be If you're called a racist, then that's the kiss of death almost because you spend most of your try, time trying to explain and to defend yourself and everybody hears that word and they immediately think of something negative because the word itself is just carries a lot of negative connotations. There's not an easy definition when it comes to the word racism and what it means. There are many differing opinions. Unfortunately, what a lot of people seem to believe is that anyone who points out racial differences is a racist. If you acknowledge, for example, that that person is an African-American or that person is a Mexican or that person is um, Asian or whatever, that you're a racist just for mentioning it. And there seems to be a push today for what they call equality, but what they really mean is sameness or neutrality. In other words, to try to get rid of all the distinctions, all the differences between people, because somehow in the mind of the unbeliever, if we can get rid of all the things that make us different, then we'll have harmony, live in peace, and so forth. So this is the reason why you hear a lot about gender neutrality. Um, you can't just say a person is male or female anymore. It's almost, there's a third category now that they can identify any way they want, and they can identify as neither, which is lunacy. We all know that, but for some reason, it's just the world. Even with religion, there seems to be a more of a neutral approach to religion. The Pope is meeting with a, the Muslims, and they are trying to come up with a world religion that everybody can tolerate. And so they want to find everything that is positive, everything that they have in common, do away with the things that are make them distinctly different. So you're gonna you can already see the handwriting on the wall with that. You know what's going out the window, the cross, the blood, faith, and everything else. But what'll be kept is all of the human effort, the make you feel good things you can do, and that sort of thing under the heading of religion, and with no power to change anybody's life or no ability to make a distinction. And that's kind of the attitude toward racism um, or racial differences. If we just don't acknowledge or don't say anything or don't bring it up that we're different, then we'll all learn to get along. And that's the most ridiculous thing that you can possibly think. 
Because God made you that way. God made you distinctly different. God made you the race that you are. The ethnic heritage that you have is yours. It's nothing to be ashamed of. And for us to try to pretend that it doesn't exist and that everybody's the same is just, again, it's just lunacy, but we do it anyway. The remedy for racism is not to pretend that we're all the same. There's only one remedy for racism, and we all know what that is. Only Jesus can change the heart, and only Jesus can uh, help us to understand that we're all one in, in Christ. There is a definition for racism that is given in Webster's Dictionary that I think is accurate. Let me read it for you. It says that racism is prejudice, discrimination, or antagonism directed against someone of a different race based on the belief that one's own race is superior. In other words, it's believing that your race is superior to somebody else's, so you are antagonistic or uh, judgmental toward them because they don't measure up to you. It's It's the idea of superiority that makes racism what it is, that a white person may think that they are superior to everyone else. That seems to be the prevalent thought, that this is what racism is. And it could happen just as easily in reverse, regardless of what your race is. Now, there are many examples of this throughout history. For example, back in our history, um, when we had slavery in this nation, slavery was a perfect example of racism. Because if you asked a white southerner what they thought, they would tell you right up front that the white race is superior than to the African-American race. And this goes, went on for years. It was thought, it was taught, it was preached in pulpits in the South that the whites are superior. That would be racism, a perfect example of it. Another perfect example would be Hitler and his thoughts that the Aryan race was superior to all of the races in the world. So he sought to build a world-dominated, kingdom with the Aryan race as the superior race and everyone else in servitude to that. And that didn't work out either. But one of the oldest examples of racism is really found in the Bible, believe it or not. Because 4,000 years ago, it began. And that is the distinction between Jews and Gentiles. And if you don't know what that means, you know what a Jew is, someone, an Israelite. But a Gentile is everybody else. And over the centuries, what has developed is this animosity between Jews and everybody else in the world because the Jews thought they were superior and still do, that they are superior in race to everyone else. And we'll talk in a moment about some of the reasons why they think that. But this is the example of racism that Paul is addressing in this passage that we're looking at. Now, we're in the study in Ephesians. Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus, and if you'll recall, when I started this series, I named or titled the series something totally different, because what Paul is doing now is he's writing to the Ephesian church, the Christians there, and he's telling them all about their identity in Christ, which they didn't really understand as something brand new to them, something totally different. He, we, as we looked at last week, how that, that it is Christ or it is God that made you alive through his spirit and that you had nothing to do with salvation, they didn't really understand that either. So it's something totally different. And now he's addressing the problem that they had 
when they are, the problem they had then and still have today between Jews and Gentiles. Now today what I want to do is this. I want to look at the problem of racism as it pertains to that situation that we're looking at in the scripture. But I also want to make application to today and some of the issues that we face today. I want to talk about God's remedy and talk about how that what I'm going to share with you today, some of the thoughts are going to be applicable in every situation that you find yourself in where you think for some reason that you are superior to somebody for whatever reason that may be. It may be race, it could be gender, it could be your education you think makes you superior, it could be your family background, your heritage, your looks, your social standing, whatever it may be that you think makes you superior to somebody else. It may not be racism, but it's the same idea. And what we're going to be talking about today is going to be applicable in all of those situations. So pay attention. You may be thinking, well, I'm not a racist and so forth, and that's good. But we need to talk about the problem. We need to talk about, okay, what do we do about it and how do we deal with it as believers? Now, the problem in the context we're looking at in this passage in Ephesians is the issue of Jew and Gentile. Okay, so where did that thing begin? How did it get started? Well, let me give you a little bit of history real quick. 4,000 years ago in a little city called Ur, down around what is now Kuwait, around the Persian Gulf, God calls a man, a pagan man called Abraham, calls him out, appears to him and says, I've got a plan for you. And I'm going to make you into a great nation. You're going to have millions of descendants. You're going to be a blessing to the world. Through, the, through you and your people, uh, I'm going to bring my law into the world. I'm going to give you the word of God. I'm going to give you the prophets. I'm going to ultimately bring a Messiah into the world that is going to save the world and so forth. He tells him all the things that he's going to do for him. And throughout then the, the uh, succeeding generations, Isaac, his son, Jacob, his son, the next, uh, Jacob had 12 sons who become the 12 leaders of the 12 tribes at the beginning of the Jewish nation. The same blessing was pronounced on them. If you will follow me and obey me and be faithful to me, you'll experience my blessing and I will make you into a great nation and you will be a privileged people in this world and you will be a living example to the rest of the world about what grace is. They will see me dealing with you, and they will know who I am by my kindness to you. And so Israel was an object lesson to the rest of the world. And so that went on now for 4,000 years and all the things that transpired between there, the time of Moses and Joshua and the judges and the kings and everything, all the history of Israel, that's the entire Old Testament, talking about the history of this nation of Israel and how God blessed them and how God judged them at the same time and how God wanted to use them as an example to the rest of the world. Never did God ever tell Israel that you're superior. He never told them that. He never thought that. He said, you're blessed and you're privileged because of what I'm going to do with you to show the rest of the world, but you're not superior to the rest of the world. As in fact, I'm going to use you to reach the rest of the world. So don't get the idea that you are superior. You're chosen for a task. And if you be faith, will be faithful to me, then you'll experience my blessing. But the Jews, the Jews misunderstood completely. And what happened over those 4,000 years of recorded history to this date of the Jewish nation 
in its incubation period and its beginnings and to what it became and what it has fallen to and all of these things, the Jews became racist. You see, they begin to think that we are superior to everybody else. They were judgmental, terribly judgmental. Hated, and when I say hated, that is not a, an exaggeration, but hated Gentiles. Had no, wanted to have nothing to do with them. We go all the way through to the New Testament and the church has begun and Jesus has resurrected and Peter, the Spirit of God says to Peter one day, he says, go over there to this house of Cornelius and take the gospel to these Gentiles. Peter said, I'm not going over there. He said, I've never been in the home of a Gentile. I wouldn't go into the house of a Gentile. They're inferior to us. And God said, yeah, you are too. Now get over there. And so he went. And he preached to them the gospel, and all of a sudden the Spirit fell on them, and they get saved, and they're filled with the Spirit. And Peter said, man, who would have thought it? That God has included them too. Because you see, until that time, Peter was racist. And Peter struggled with that throughout the rest of his ministry because it was so ingrained in him. It's in that context now that Paul, writing to the Ephesians who are Gentiles, about the church and about the relationship now with them and the Jews, that he deals with the subject of racism. And it's something, well, it's in this context that we find out of that things that we can apply to the situation we live in today where it pertains to racism. Of us thinking we're superior to somebody else or vice versa. And so for us as Christians, this is an important lesson that we need to come to grips with and understand. So let's dive into the text and talk about this for a moment. In Ephesians chapter 2, I want to look first of all at verses 11 through 12 and then move forward. It says, Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision. Now that's just the difference between Jews and Gentiles. Jews were often referred to as the circumcision in the Bible. Gentiles were referred to as those dirty dogs, those uncircumcised pagans. That's how they were referred to. But he says, by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope, And without God in this world. Now let's just stop there for a moment. He said, now listen. He said, you Gentiles there in Ephesus. Now he's talking to believers. These are in the church now. He says, do you remember when? Before you came to Christ, what you were? He says, you were considered the uncircumcised heathen. You were separate from Christ. You knew nothing about Jesus having come. You were even excluded from Israel. He had nothing to do with Israel. They wouldn't have anything to do with you. You were foreigners to the covenants and the promises that he made to Israel. You were without hope and without God in the world. Do you remember that? Do you remember who you were? They'd be sitting there saying, yeah, that's who we were. That's what we were like. That's how we were looked at. He says now in verse 13, he says, but now... In Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You who were once far away have now been brought near by the blood of Christ. In other words, you've been brought into the family. 
by the blood of Christ. When Jesus died on the cross and his blood was shed to pay for everybody's sins, Jews and Gentiles alike, and anybody that puts their faith in that and believes it are brought into the family of God. We're going to talk about that more in a moment. Look now with me in verses 14, starting with verses 14 on through the next several verses. He says, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups, that's the Jews and the Gentiles, who has made the two groups one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with his commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. Now look at what he's saying. He said, here's God's plan. That he took the Jews and the Gentiles who had been fighting at that time for 2,000 years. And he says to them, he says, for the last 2,000 years, this fight, this conflict has been going on. But now in his body, he has done something. He has provided a way where we come together now because he has destroyed the law, which is kind of odd. And he's saying that now we come together in spirit and we are worshipped together in spirit and we live by the spirit and it's not the law anymore separating us. Now let me tell you something. Historically, the Jews would take the law of Moses and bludgeon anybody who broke it. They, especially the Gentiles, you dogs, you don't obey the law of Moses, therefore you are a dog. And that's how they referred to them. Only simply because of the difference between them. But he says to them, he has removed that, the hostility between us. And in verse 17 it says, well let me see, pick up uh, verse 16. It says, and in one body, in verse 16, in one body to reconcile or bring together both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. Through the cross, paid for their sins, did away with the law, they both have the Spirit, and he's bringing them together. The world can't do this. Do you understand that? Whatever differences there are among races, people in the world, no political party, no law that is passed, No reformation of some city ordinances can ever do this. But God can, because God says, I am removing now the things that made them different in the sense that the law and the differences, and I'm bringing them together now under one heading. And in verse 17, he says, And he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. That's the Gentiles and the Jews. The Gentiles were far away. The Jews were near, closer to God, but still lost. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. We both have access to the Father by one spirit. Now, let's stop there. Three things in this part of this passage that I want to bring to your attention. Three things that I want you to remember. Here they go. Listen. Number one. People of every race have the same spiritual problem. People, regardless of who you are, white, black, brown, yellow, it doesn't matter. We all have the same spiritual problem. We are all sinners. We are all under the wrath of God. We are all lost and we're all bound for hell, regardless of who you are. 
There is no superior race. There is no one race of people that God has accepted to the exclusion of others. None. All of us are bound for hell. Verse 17, look at what he said. Go back to this and just look. He said, He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. What's he saying? He's saying the gospel of peace or the gospel of of doing away with God's wrath, the gospel of salvation, was preached to the Gentiles who were far away, but it was also preached to the Jews who were close at hand. Now, what does that mean? Well, the Jews of all people should have come to Christ. The Jews had the law. The Jews had the prophets. The Jews had the temple. The Jews had all of this. And they should have come to Christ, but they were rejecting Him because He misunderstood everything. But He says, He brought together those that were far away, and He brought together those who were close, and those that responded in faith and believed Him were brought together, He's saying. So, Everybody, regardless of who you are, you have the same spiritual problem. You are lost, whether you are close, far away, or whatever, you're still lost. Here's the second thing that I want you to remember. That people of every race, no matter what it is, are in need of God's grace. People of every race are in need of God's grace. White people do not have an upper leg on anybody else when it comes to the grace of God. In the 1800s, you go down to a southern church in South Carolina, you're going to hear that. Not true, but it was preached in the South for years. In verse 16, look at what he says. And in one body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. In other words, he removed whatever obstacles were there, their differences, and brought them together under a new banner of grace. And they came together. And this is point number three here, okay? The third thing that I want you to see. That in Christ, people of every race become one. Now listen to this, okay? In Christ... It doesn't happen any other way. And we've talked about this term before, that it has to be in Christ. When you put your faith in the Lord Jesus, God places you in the body, so to speak. You are considered, according to Scripture, as being in Christ. It's always a reference to the believer. So, in Christ, whether you're black or white or whatever, you become one in Christ. And only the gospel can bring you together. Religion or politics or government can't do it. The distinctions that are between the races are there. We've been, we were created differently. You know, we're different people. We have different heritage, different customs, different ways of life, different things that, that make us distinctly who we are and different. Nobody can legislate that away. But God says, and regardless of your differences, I bring you together under one banner, a new humanity, he called it earlier. He says, one other group. Now think about this, okay? And this is kind of, you know, if you take offense to people being called white, black, yellow, brown, then I apologize. But uh, this is, I'm doing it anyway. Whether you are 
whether you are black or white, brown, yellow, or red, or whatever color of distinction we use to denote races, regardless of that, he said, I have created another group, the church. Every believer from every generation comes together under the banner of faith, and I have created a new humanity, a new group, and we are one in the Spirit. Listen to what he says. Well, he says it here in verse 15. Let me show you. He says in verse 15, By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. There is no superior race, he said. You're here together under one banner. Listen to this verse in Galatians. Now, this is a whole other book. This is Paul writing to another church. Galatians 3.28, here's what he says. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. All right, now watch this. Does he mean to say that we ought to be striving toward this gender neutrality mess that we hear about? No. You, that's lunacy. There will always be male, there will always be female. There's no third category. You can't just legislate that away. He says, but even with the distinctive differences, we come together under one banner now of equality in Christ. Equality doesn't happen anywhere else. This is the teaching of the New Testament. He said, in Christ, there's neither bond nor free or, or, or slave or free. Because in the New Testament times, there was a lot of slavery for whatever reason. But he says, here you are together, the owner and the master and the slave, and in Christ, you're both equal. You're both the same. Even though the distinction remains. Racial distinctions still remain. You can't do anything about that, nor should you. But we come together as one now under a new banner of the church because of our common faith in Christ. Let me ask you this question. If you were to line up a white man, a black man, a brown man, a yellow man, and every nationality you can think of, now here's the question, okay, let's think about this. And you could see not their flesh but their spirit. What color would their spirit be? What color would the Spirit be? None. The color issue is only in the flesh. The color distinctions, the nationality, the racial distinctions are something that are only in the flesh. On the inside, we're all the same. And God says that when you put your faith in Christ, you not only are the same on the inside, but now you're one. You're one. Let me move on and look at the remaining four verses in this passage in Ephesians. Ephesians 2, verses 19 through 22, here's what he says. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens 
with God's people and also members of his household. Remember this, okay? I'm going to come back to it. Fellow citizens, members of his household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Here's what he's talking about. He's saying that in Christ, he has created this new group. Now, think about this, because this is what he's painting here, this picture. The Bible tells us that every person that puts their faith in Jesus Christ is a temple of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God lives in you. And he's saying here that God is taking all of these, think of yourselves as a building block, and he's building a spiritual temple. We, the church, come together from all walks of life, from all races and and backgrounds and problems and issues and everything else that we go through in life. And only God can bring you together under one banner and create you as a new entity and call you different and say, you're one in me. And I'm building you up into a holy temple, the church. And in this church, here are the distinctives according to this. We have a common home in heaven. He says you are citizens together. Well, he's talking about your home in heaven. You're citizens of heaven. One day we're going to all be together, guys. We're going to all be together. We have a common family, the church. You are a part of a family when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, regardless of who you are, regardless of what you have done, anything about you. We have a common spirit. All one spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in every person that is a believer regardless of their race. And we all have access to God, the same access. Nobody has more access to God than the other. We all have the same. In Revelation chapter 5, let me tell you, set the stage for this one, okay? Revelation chapter 5. In Revelation, John is, has a vision toward the end of his life. And it's a, it's a distinct vision, not a dream, but a vision. He wasn't even sure if he wasn't transported into heaven to see this. He thinks maybe he was. But in the scene in heaven where he's having the vision, it says that there was a, a scroll that needed to be opened. Now we know from the book of Revelation, the scroll, every time it is opened, a judgment falls upon the earth at that time. And so the question was, who in all of heaven is worthy to open up this scroll and bring judgment on the earth? And in his vision, he says that Jesus, the Lamb, steps forward and everybody says he's worthy. And so here I pick it up now with that context in chapter 5, verse 9 of the book of Revelation. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. Did you catch that? That God has purchased for himself to put into this group that he calls the church, this new creation. People from every tribe, every language, every tribe, every tongue, every nation. 
We're all in there. We're all one. You want to know what racism is? Racism is simply this. It is not acknowledging that we're different. We, we are all different. Let's not be foolish enough to try to say we're not. We're different. It's okay. Racism is when one of us stands up and says, you're inferior to me because of who you are. That's racism. When you try to judge or, or you're antagonistic towards somebody because of who they are racially, and this thing, like I said before, goes much further than this because you're a former drug addict, because you're a prisoner, because of something in your life, because you don't measure up, you don't, you're not educated, you're not smart, whatever it may be, because I set myself up as being superior to you. And God says, no, nobody is superior. Because when you come to me by faith, I put you into this entirely different group of humanity called the church. You're one now. You're one. And nothing can ever change that. And if you want to talk about transformation, if you want to talk about change, if you want to talk about how to deal with the races and the problem there is between the races, this is the answer. There is no other answer. Nothing. So what do we do? You know, here we are as Christians. We're sitting here today and we're thinking to ourselves, okay, what do I do to help deal with the issue of racism? At least in my life, you know, my circle of friends, my town, my city. Well, I want to encourage you to do a couple of things. I want you to start looking at the world differently. You know, you're going to walk down the streets of Athens and you're going to see a lot of Hispanics, you're going to see a lot of African Americans, you're going to see some Asians, a lot of them right here in our, our little town. And you can continue to try to think of yourself as being different and superior or not like them in some way. Or you can begin to see yourself the way God sees you in relation to them. That there is no superiority there. And that you and I need to understand that when that African-American man or that Asian guy or whoever it may be comes to Christ, we are in a family together. We're in a family together. And when that happens, then God says all of the things that divide us will fall by the wayside because I see you totally different now. And I thank you for that way. Secondly, I want to encourage you to work at finding common ground with everybody. Ultimately, your goal is to win people to Jesus Christ of whatever race they are. But really work at trying to find something in common with them. Um, it may be whatever, but when you come, when they both come to faith, then you have a lot in common, but even before that. And thirdly, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take the initiative and show love. You have to take the initiative, Okay. If you don't take the initiative, then the barrier will always be there. And so it's up to you as a believer to reach out to somebody who is African American or Asian or Hispanic or whatever it may be. And to say to yourself, you know what, I need to bridge the gap because they may not know Jesus Christ. And my goal is to bring them to Christ because in doing that, then we're part of the same family. And when that happens, everything changes.
Let me close by telling you a story. When I was at the church up in Indiana, we were looking for a worship leader. We had had volunteer help up until that time and thought we were going to try to make the jump to somebody full-time. And so we began to look. We put together a search committee and began to look for somebody. And as we began to bring in resumes into the search committee, one of the gentlemen that had turned in a, a uh, resume was an African-American man. North Carolina, his name was Mark. Mark was not a worship leader, but Mark was part of a worship team, did some singing in the church. And in talking to some people about you know his references and stuff, they said he's very, very talented. He just doesn't have any, the experience. The more we kept going through this process, we kept looking back at his resume and thinking to ourselves, this would be really difficult because in this Midwestern community that we lived there in Indiana, there were no African-American people. They just weren't. It was a big farming community, and if you, you know, if you didn't own the land and so forth, you, you would not have come there. So um, we decided, as time went on, we decided to to begin corresponding with him and so forth, and finally decided to bring him up for a visit. So he and his wife, uh, they had several children, but the children stayed home. He and his wife came up for a visit. And we began, you know, to meet with search committees and and so forth and in, in different groups and talking to him, answering questions and so, and so forth. During that process, I can remember his wife asking this question that night, the first night we met with them to talk with them. She said, do you think that your congregation reflects accurately the racial makeup of your community? Now, what she's asking, she says, tell me how many blacks and whites you have in your church. And I said, yeah, it reflects it perfectly. You're it. You're the only black people here. And you need to know that. Because if you come to this church, you're going to be the only ones in the church and for the life of me, I can only think of maybe one other person in the community. So, yeah, that's the way it is. When we were making the decision on what to do with them while they were there and was asked, well, where are we going to put them up? We'll get them a hotel or something. I said, no, they're going to stay with me. I said, if they're going to minister with me, I want to know who they are. So they're going to stay with me. And so they came to our house and stayed with us for the weekend, and we talked there at the house. I can remember being out on our front porch and just having a glass of tea and just talking, answering questions. And um, Mark was talking about, I asked him about their concerns. I said, what are your concerns, you know, as you come here? And they said, well, naturally the racial thing, the difference. I said, well, what are you afraid of? And he said, well, the typical things, being afraid of acceptance, um, hostility, things like that. He said, now let me just say, he said, I came up here with that fear, but I don't have that fear. And I said, well, why not? He said, the thing that quelled the fear was when you said, I'm staying with you in your house. I said, why? He said, well, I figured if this white pastor can let me stay in his house, let the black man and his wife stay in his house, then it must be okay. 
And then we talked, and one of the things that he, I, he was kind of on the fence, and I said, listen, you need to go home and pray about this. I said, but if you come, let's do this. Give me two years. You guarantee that you'll stay here for two years. If you're not happy at the end of two years, I will help you find another church someplace that you'll be happy and comfortable with. He said, okay. So they decided they came. And there were some adjustments, as you know, you might imagine, but it was a good ministry. About three years later, I left to come here, and Mark stayed. Um, another year, year and a half or so, he contacted me. He said, look, I have a possibility of going to a church in Virginia Beach. It's a great big church. And he said, and I'm, they contacted me, and I'm thinking about doing it. He said, can I use you as a reference? I said, well, of course. So I talked to the pastor down there, and he was talking about Mark. And I said, tell me about your church. He said, well, we're in a very diverse community. He said, we are literally about half African-American and half white. I said, then Mark would do great in your church. I said, he's just a guy. So Mark, right now, after all these years, is there at this huge church in Virginia Beach and doing great. And I look at that and I think to myself, okay, how did this all happen? And you, you look back to moments in time where things pivot. If I had not had Mark in my home, he may not have come to us. If he had not come to us, he would lack the experience as just playing in a worship band and never having been a worship leader to go to a church. And so I look at that and I think, all because I opened my home to a person of a different race. He now is in ministry and doing great. And the point is this. You've got to show love because you never know what God will do with your act of kindness and love. And you'll never know how it will bridge the gap and change people. Don't let race be an issue with you as a believer. It cannot be. Because God says, we're in this together. Black, brown, yellow, white, it doesn't matter. We are one in Christ. And you and I need to treat each other, regardless of race, as family. So if you want to leave here with a challenge, that's it. You start looking at other people in this community that you know are believers as family. Those that are not as a mission field. But don't ever turn your back on anybody because of their race. If you're here this morning and you are still not sure that you're a Christian, don't quite understand it, let me read you this one last verse. It's in John chapter 3, verse 16. It says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. If you're here today and you can't answer the question about what would happen to you when you die, you don't know. You have, you're just uncertain. You have too many questions. Then chances are you're not a believer. Because you see, believing in Jesus is coming to the understanding that he paid for your sins. He died on the cross. He took all of the penalty for your sins upon himself. And he paid for them. And when you come to faith, you're acknowledging that he did that for you. And it was enough. And that God the Father will give you eternal life because of what He did. 
And God the Father looks at you and me and he says to us, if you will trust in that, then I will give you as a free gift salvation, forgiveness. You will become my child. Will you do that this morning? For whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Let's close our eyes and bow our heads for just a moment, okay? If you're here this morning and you'd like to acknowledge your faith in Christ, I want to give you that opportunity. Right there where you sit, you've got to ask yourself this question, do I believe that Jesus died for me? If I believe that, then according to the Scripture, you're saved. It doesn't matter how you feel. It's what God says is true. I want to give you the opportunity to acknowledge it. I'm not going to have you to come forward. I don't do that here. But I am going to ask you just to slip your hand up and say, Pastor, I'm believing right now. I believe it. I understand it. I'm trusting Him. I choose to put my faith in Him this morning. Anyone at all. Anyone at all that has never put their faith in Christ. Our Heavenly Father, as we bow here before you, Father, we are overwhelmed with the reality of this thing called the church. And that we are one with people that normally we might be antagonistic toward because of the differences between us. But Father, you have filled our hearts with love through your Holy Spirit. And we are one in Christ. We are family. Father, may we leave and go out of here and look for family members of different races and just show them love. In Jesus' name, amen.